Hi, this is Andy Morgan of RipBody.jp. Today I have Danny Lennon on the show. Danny is the guy behind the Sigma Nutrition Podcast, which is what I would consider the best nutrition podcast out there at the moment. The content can get quite technical, and there are a lot of coaches, academics, and trainers that really appreciate the work he does in getting that content out there. Danny is a sports nutrition coach from Ireland, and he's interviewed so many people over the last year, I thought it was about time that people could find out about the man himself. I really enjoyed this interview, and I hope you do too. Danny, uh, thank you for coming on the show today. I really appreciate your time. Uh, no problem at all, Andy. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it, buddy. Um, it was good meeting you at the uh, Epic Summit uh, in Birmingham just about a month ago now, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, so the, yeah, that was cool. It was it was a great collection of people there as well. So um, yeah, that was a that was a fun weekend. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll get stuck into that in a in a bit. Um, but for those uh, for those that don't know you, um, how do you describe to people uh, what you do? Oh man, uh, so this depends on who I'm actually talking to and uh, how much I think they'll actually get it. Because um, especially like if I'm talking to my my parents or some of their friends, it's like trying to explain between the podcast and all that what's going on. It's like what that doesn't make any sense. So like, how do you make money? So it's either I'm a nutritionist, a nutrition coach, or it could be I'm an entrepreneur. But I, I don't really know how I my stock answers. No, f- fair enough. Like, let, yeah. let me give you two scenarios then. The first one will be you're in a bar having a chat with someone. They ask you what you do. What do you say? If it's an attractive lady, I'm a millionaire <laughs> businessman. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, it's, I would say a um, nutritionist that puts out educational material, I think, is a good way to start because that leads into then them obviously having to ask, oh, what does that mean? So okay. I would say that would be a good answer. And for the people that are listening to this, um, most of the people that read my blog and that will be listening to this, they'll be men, um, early 20s to mid 40s. Um, they're mostly uh, interested in building a great physique. Um, for these guys listening, um, what would you say that you do? How do you describe what you do? I think I try and put out objective evidence-based nutrition information that can help either trainees or coaches get a a better approach to their nutrition or have them at least do things without wasting kind of their their time and money on stuff that doesn't make a big difference and just getting them to realize what the fundamentals are um and then also for people at more intermediate to advanced level of knowledge i think that's where a lot of my listenership and readers of the blog tend to be that more intermediate to advanced level of current knowledge. Lots of fitness professionals um, would be kind of part of that community. Um, and so it's trying to get more into the details for them just so they have that background knowledge of, of being able to approach different scenarios with different types of clients, for example. Um, and just, again, that kind of objective evidence-based information, I think. I certainly appreciate uh, your podcast. I think it's one of the best out there for nutrition information. Um, you, just the quality of guests that you get on there and how deep you go, um, it, it really tickles my inner geek, Danny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, thanks very much. It, it means a lot to hear that because there's obviously a, uh, a lot of work goes into the, the podcast and um, it, I try and keep it as objective as possible. And then the big thing is trying to get information that, 
people aren't hearing somewhere else. Um, so trying to get something new from each of these guests and really trying to get in to like to tap into a lot of the, the knowledge they have, because for a lot of people, it's not that accessible, uh, especially if you take a lot of people that are, say, active researchers. It's it's probably they have to spend so much time researching that they get stuck in that academic kind of bubble and trying to get that information out to, to people is, is a big thing. So um, it's great to hear that it's actually useful to people because that's that's the whole point of the, the show. Uh, how long have you been doing the podcast now and um, how has it been growing? The podcast was first, I think the first episode was April the 8th i think uh, to 2014 so we're about what 15 16 months in now um and the growth has been actually something that was was ahead of where i'd expected um when i started putting out kind of some projections um i think initially it started to get some decent traction and i could tell relatively early on that there was getting a good reception uh, just in terms of the feedback um but then it hit a point maybe like six or seven months in where it just started to like just completely take off um and it's funny because i was it's almost seen as some people just come across it and it's like wow this kind of thing this overnight kind of success the typical thing that where people don't see what's gone on in the background um and it's funny i was just i'm just in the middle of reading a book at the moment um amanda palmer's book the ask the art of asking so she's talking at it from her perspective of an artist because she's a, a musician um and she had this kind of analogy where, yeah, you know her, yeah? Yes, yes, I saw yeah, yeah. Did she have a TED Talk? Uh, she did have a TED Talk, yeah. yeah. Um, massive one. And she had the, she was the lead star of the Dresden Dolls and they yeah, did this big it. Kickstarter yeah. campaign. Um, she was on Tim Ferriss' podcast a, a while back as well. Um, but she was talking about this great analogy of um, in China, if you look at the bamboo farms, the, the farmer will come out with this little shoot, stick it deep into the ground, will be watering and fertilizing the soil or whatever and nothing happens and they keep doing this they keep fertilizing keep watering and three years down the line nothing has happened but then suddenly in the space of 30 days you have this massive shoot that's gone several feet up into the air and it uh, it comes back to her idea of that that's what happens with an artist trying to get their work out um, and i think it's the same for any kind of entrepreneur trying to get their work out that there's a lot that goes on where you have to like cultivate good relationships, help people, uh, genuinely like just try and help people at a real small scale. And then if you keep putting out good stuff and keep helping people, then eventually something takes off. And that's kind of the path things have taken. And um, so, yes, it's about 16 months, I suppose, to answer your original question. <laughs> yeah. Um, how did you get into the, the industry? Oh, so... It probably goes back. There's there's obviously stuff way back when I was kind of younger and I was playing sports and stuff. But it, the really the biggest kind of shift was when I went to college originally. Um, I went to study biology and physics, and I had at that point I'd like big interest in sports. Had played a lot of soccer and, and Gaelic football, which is a sport here in Ireland. When I was uh, up to that point. And then when I got into college, two things happened. One was I changed from more of those field-based sports to starting to do some MMA and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And then I also started to learn how to 
look for academic research papers, read them, interpret them, and so on. So as a kind of like nerdy side hobby, it was like, how do I make my performance better? Um, and why don't I do it by looking at actual scientific evidence mm. as opposed to reading some stuff online or in a magazine? And uh, so that kind of culminated me just like stumbling across these articles around nutrition for performance and just kind of really got interested in that. So once I finished college, I actually went and was, was a physics and biology teacher for a year in a school here in Ireland. Uh, but during that time, I knew that there was just something that I wanted to do with this nutrition. And I think I started to get that entrepreneurial urge as well in that I didn't really like the, the school structure. I mean, I, I loved the teaching aspect of it. I think it tied into a lot of my strengths. I liked uh, educating uh, people on things. I like talking about science, obviously. Um, I liked the interaction with the students. It was just a school structure and having to, I suppose, uh, stay within the confines of like a syllabus and be working in somewhere for someone else. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to go and do this nutrition thing. Um, so I went back to to university, got a master's in nutritional science. And then from there, just started trying to learn from people and do seminars, do courses. And I talked about doing a mentorship with Martin McDonald. Um, I then just trying to start working with people and trying to help people and that almost like trial and error of seeing what's working and getting more experience and just building from there. Um, and that's how I kind of got in that field of, I suppose, nutrition and fitness. And, and then it's kind of just led me to where we're at now, I suppose. Very cool. I used to teach at uh, high school myself here in Japan. Um, so that was, that was just teaching English. Um, but yeah, oh, yeah. very similar. I, I very much enjoyed the teaching. I very much enjoyed uh, being around the kids. But there was just something more um, that I wanted to do. It, it's very hard to describe. Mm. Um, I found that work uh, enjoyable, but just not fulfilling. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Big Martin McDonald um, just then. Mm. Did you say you had an internship with him? Or so yeah, I, I did his his mentorship program. So that would have been oh, that would have been before there was a Sigma Nutrition. I was over with Martin. Could you um, tell people? So, and, sorry to interrupt. Could you tell people who he is? Oh, yeah. So Martin is a UK-based sports nutritionist, uh, also clinical nutritionist. Has a consultancy called Mac Nutrition. Works with Great Britain weightlifting, uh, Derby County Football Club, and a ton of other kind of cool people, um, and would certainly be one of, I think, the very best guys um, in the UK. And I, I think just his evidence-based approach and his critical thinking is what got to me. So I mentioned this on my, my podcast when I had him on, that the big impact from going over and doing his mentorship wasn't that I necessarily had to learn something brand new or revolutionary about nutrition per se it was seeing his approach to things how he evaluated evidence how he critically thought about things how he didn't just accept what someone had been told or like how to screen information i think was a big thing um and so that kind of was a massive turning point for me and i think i credit a lot of the direction that i've gone in my career down to, to to martin and um so yeah just that that was a big big turning point for me i think very cool. Very cool. How long did you do that for? That was just done over the course of a, a weekend. Then there was obviously the 
backup um, conversations with him on email and so forth and just um, going back and forth and I kind of got to a point to, to know him um, pretty well now and um, I think just just being able to have that connection and I think the same with anything when you when you do anything like that and you get to know good people um, that kind of resonate with the same message as you I think it's massive yeah your mm. your business is mainly coaching is it yeah so there's the one-on-one coaching that I do with with several different clients that can be either online or I have uh, in-person clients and then there's this stuff that's coming through from the site, uh, which is obviously there's big plans to expand over the next um, year or so, the the online services that are available. Um, but a lot of it would be coaching is my primary thing. And that's, I think the big thing is for anyone that is putting out material about coaching or about about nutrition or fitness or personal training, if, if they're not doing any coaching and yet they're writing about it, I, like, I don't know if that's something... Uh, especially if they're trying to talk about actually coaching people. I think it's fine to talk about like the the details and the science around nutrition and training, but it's a different thing actually applying it with people. And you'll know this, Andy, from working with people. It's just a different thing knowing what we'd ideally like to do with someone to actually the coaching process. And I think a lot of people miss that out. Um, so I, I think the the actual coaching practice I have is is like an integral part of what actually goes into the content on Sigma Nutrition as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the one of the challenges is you can get you can only get as detailed with people as they will allow you to. Um, it all comes down to the limits of their compliance at the end of the day, right? Yeah. There's, there's no point in giving them um, the most perfect plan that they're not going to follow. Have you had uh, Have you had that? Have you come across that issue? Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest thing I found is that some people want to have more complex or intricate plans than they actually need. Yes, and they're yes. almost they're almost crying out for these really restrictive, like super plans that have all this, and they come in with this idea of what they want it to be, and you have to say to them, "Well, are you telling me to to write what you already want me to write, or can we talk about like where I think is the best place to go?" Um, so there's there's definitely an element of that, but I think when you think about where most people are starting from, if, if we're taking say a, a beginner and their goal is generally to lose some body fat, or in less cases to mainly put on muscle mass, in both those things, pretty much everyone knows how those are achieved. So in other words, that it's still going to come down to energy balance and getting sufficient amounts of protein and carbs, et cetera, et cetera. Like for decades, people in the bodybuilding community have been, have known how to lose fat and known how to gain muscle. So it's really just for most people, a process of how do we get someone to actually follow through with this? Right. Um, as opposed to thinking, what is the exact requirements they have? And I think uh, on my podcast recently, uh, Army Leg was on, and we were kind of talking about this, the, the behavioral psychology stuff around training. And he made a really good point. It's like, we don't really need to worry about whether the optimal amount of protein for someone is like two grams per kilogram or 1.9 grams per kilogram of their body weight. It's more about how do we get them to follow an overall structure that's going to lead them to success. Um, so that, that's, the, that's the big thing, I think, with actual coaching versus people who are 
uh, are just sending people a list of macros and saying, go eat this. I mean, that isn't coaching. I mean, that's just, if you're just saying to, if you're getting someone to pay you money and all you do is send them calorie and macronutrient targets and just say, go do this, like <laughs> you're, you're not, you're not a coach. You're, you're a human spreadsheet. Um, you're not a coach. So what, what would you say is the, the, the key value or key values that people derive um, from coaching? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think, again, it comes down to what level that person's at. So at each kind of stage, they're, they're generally going to have a, a, a bigger or there's going to be a bigger factor that's going to make the most importance for them. So as, as an example, if it's a beginner, it's generally around educating them on what they need to worry about. What are the fundamental core principles of nutrition that need to get right? Um, how to, for example, what foods are high in protein it could be. Mm. Here's high protein sources include these at each of your main meals that could be so their thing is more around education and a bit of knowledge then when someone's at a more intermediate stage it probably shifts from that more to how to get a general structure that they can maintain and tweak themselves over time so they'll already know what is kind of the foods uh, that they should be including and what they shouldn't and where they're kind of their intake should be it's more about getting a, a solid structure that they can follow because i know a lot of people that will come to me for coaching that know an awful lot about nutrition but just they just say oh, look there's just no structure this i need if you lay it out for me of what to do i'll just go and do it and i mean i think every coach has this as well the same with their training trying to if a coach tries to write themselves a training program you have this thing of um just trying to second guess it all the time and i think that's probably the third the third kind of stage that we're talking about, if you take someone that's, I would class as, say, advanced in their knowledge or their goals. Um, so I have a, a number of guys that are like trainers themselves, for example. The reason they'll come is for one of two reasons. One is accountability. And then two is to stop that second guessing that I talked about. So they know what they should be doing. But by having a coach that has someone that they're actually going to answer to and can check in with. So it's like accountability issue as opposed to me telling them what something or learning something new. And the second thing is just stop second guessing around stuff. Because if you, if you're like say a coach and you're programming stuff for yourself, you're always thinking, could I be doing more of this or am I doing enough or I'm doing too much? Whereas if just someone says, look, here's the plan, just go and do this. It just takes a lot of mental uh, strain off someone. So the biggest factor depends on where someone's development is, I think. Yeah, excellent answer. I'd have to, I'd absolutely agree with what you just said there. Yeah, um, you left me with nothing. Um, <laughs> uh, one thing um, that I tend to, uh, uh, for those that listen or read my stuff, I tend to bang on about this is buy-in. Have you ever tried working with someone for free? As in giving, um, giving them free advice and yeah, so there's there's a few guys that actually work for um, that I do work for free, and it's generally more of the guys that are based in some of the fight sports that I work with. Um, and again, just because there's several reasons, I have a, I have a big interest in that. Anyway, uh, they're generally if they're going to go at a pro level and just getting started, there's obviously not the massive amounts of cash to throw around on one-on-one training, and then just like eventually it could be good for everyone um but i think the initial thing is i i like i really think that there is value in people coaching someone for free to develop their own experience but at the same time from the client's perspective i really think that people that that 
take part in coaching when it's free usually don't have the same success as those that have at least had put something in. So even if it's a nominal fee, uh, we see this all the time, just because they have that that skin in the games, like Nassim Taleb talks about, yeah. once someone has something at stake, then there is a much more increased likelihood of that they're going to adhere to it. So uh, one thing actually my, my buddy, uh, James Hanley, he's a coach here in Dublin, did with me uh, last year. So I got him to do some of my programming, like a, it was a strength block uh, uh, for powerlifting. He's a great coach. So I said, will you come in and do my programming? I'll pay you whatever I prefer to pay you. And obviously James didn't want to take any money because we're good friends. And I was like, I think it'd just be better if you did. So he's like, here, how about this? I'll take a big whack of money up front from you. You go through, and if you follow through on 12 weeks and we, we hit all these goals and their strength goals, I'll give it back to you. But So that worked out really well. It's just the fact that there had that I had that skin in the game. Yeah. So if I wasn't going to follow through, I was going to lose all that money. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that's, what, that's the fine line between coaching people for free or not. I think if people have that, at least something at stake, and it, it helps them. Yeah, and, sure. and it doesn't have to be money. It's like you said with the MMA guys, you can work with those guys for free because they have skin in the game. Because an yeah. MMA is ruthless. Like if you if you lose a couple of fights in a row, that could be your chances gone at the big time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like there's no there's no black or white for those guys. Like if you don't do this and you miss weight, you miss weight and you're 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 going nowhere. Um, so yeah, they already have that that kind of skin in the game whereas if someone's like not really sure that they want some coaching and it's like oh here's some for free it's like yeah whatever yeah at the end of the, i find that on that friday night when they're out having a drink with their friends it just gets so easy you need to make the pain point of um of having that extra pint and then burger and then kebab and then four double vodkas you, you know you, you have to make that pain point there present in their minds so that they think actually no i'm not going to do this whereas if they haven't paid for the plan mm. it's just so much easier for them to be like, ah yeah you know what it doesn't matter i'll have the weekend off right yeah they're not losing out on anything they've no. invested in no. so yeah completely agree with that but the, the buy-in thing is is really actually a big concept and with one thing i will do with a lot of um so especially people that are new to getting started into fitness or nutrition one thing i often talk to other coaches about is that first change that they're recommended has to be something that is so simple for them to implement but that you still know will get them a result that then they say oh wow this actually worked this guy knows what he's talking about and then they're bought into the idea of getting more advanced stuff whereas the biggest problem can be especially as we start to build up a a lot of knowledge in a certain area it's very easy to fall into the trap of saying just like dumping all this information on someone's like look here's all this cool stuff that i know like just go and do this and you'll be jacked in a few weeks <laughs> and it's like like you could you could give people all this information and it's just going to go nowhere whereas if you just give them something that's just going to give enough to hook them in and then they're going to eventually start to do anything else you ask them down the line um so it could be just depending on their starting point it could be something simple like stop drinking that liter or two of of coca-cola every day uh switch that to to water and that one change that they'll start seeing results after a week like they, they will see result when you drop that much calories and that that much sugar um and now there's like okay that was i was able to do that that wasn't too that didn't kill me uh, and then you can kind of build on the next one so i think that buy-in is is massive 
can I ask you, this is a problem that I've... Uh, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. Um, I... Do you charge different rates based on who the people are, or do you always charge the same? And then if you do charge the same... Um, I'm sorry, I didn't phrase that very well. Obviously, for more wealthy individuals, the if you're going to charge them the same as you would anyone else, which I think ethically that's the right thing to do, um, their pain point is much lower and therefore their buy-in is lower and then you could say that they're more likely to fail. Um, have, have you figured out a way around this? Um, uh, yeah, that's, that's actually a really good point. Um, one thing, so to answer the original question, yeah, my, my pricing is the same. It doesn't take into account someone's, say, financial status. Right. But yeah. one thing that I have seen that I think is, a, is probably a good idea, um, and I know um, a number of coaches that will do this, is just have it packaged up differently in terms of how intensive the coaching can be and then also how far in advance someone wants to pay for. So it like the rate is still the same but if someone has the capacity they could block book five or ten grand's worth of coaching if they wanted to for a year in advance or or whatever the case may be so maybe it's it's something like that i think just having different tiered packages is probably the the only way to go there yeah in that you can make something so intensive um and that commands so much of your time that it has to be super premium pricing um, and then you're not obviously freezing out other people because you have other packages below that where it's it's more moderate fee. So rather than the rate of coaching, I would just go on what does the the package go for? That's the only thing I would say. Yeah, mm. yeah. But yeah, I but... totally get where you're coming from yeah. in terms <laughs> yeah. of the, the pain point. It's like how do I make this? A big thing so and the other thing is with the level of intensity it's like just because they've got more money it doesn't necessarily they need more intensity in fact giving them even more could put them into a bit of a stress spiral and actually not, not work out good for them it's- yeah so like that that's one thing I, i've learned big time and that so none of my coaching is based on uh, an hourly rate or a fee per time yeah, because yeah. to me it doesn't make any sense so it's on what is their goal and where do they need to get from and okay here is the set fee for that um and then if someone needs a lot of uh, work and we need to spend hours with them then that's just something i'm going to have to do sure yeah. whereas other people further near the goal they might just need a short check-in every week um, and that's enough for them. And there's no point in saying that, oh, you only spent 10 minutes with me. It's like, well, it's based on where your result is. People don't care how long you're there with them. Are you getting them where to want to go? So I think the biggest thing for, for any co- kind of coaches listening is trying to get away from the idea of paying uh, like an hourly fee. I, spe- I think it's especially important for in nutrition Um because like the classical nutritionist model of especially in like a physical location someone comes in and they have an hour appointment for you every week as like doesn't make any sense like initially yeah that that's cool but like a few weeks down the line why does someone have to come and spend an hour of their time to talk through stuff um or at least at some point they should get to there um so i'm happy for people to be paying the same fee for some of them i'll i'll spend a ton of time especially up front when they're just starting out. Um, and then down the line, if they can spend less time, that's actually a good thing for them. 
they don't have to worry about this stuff. So, yeah, that, that's the big thing. Yeah, people never want to wish for complication. The ideal situation is where you get things set up so well at the start that there's the minimum of adjustments that you need to make as you go down the line, right? Yeah. You don't yeah. want someone to stall or, you know, have things happen. It's, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, like if something is progressing, then it's just fine to say, okay, let's continue with where we're at. Um, and just, I have a few. One of my longer-term clients, she was got to that point where we'd done a ton of stuff and brought through some educational stuff. Um, she got to the point where she, we were able to break her out of like the neurosis around food, and she was more relaxed. And we worked on things like being able to go away of a weekend and have a meal with the family and not wor- overly worry. Uh, and then she started to implement that stuff and found that it was working great. And then we got to a point where it was just like a weekly check-in just to see everything's going well and progressing and all our measurements were going in the right direction. And then she was happy. Like that was all we needed to do. Um, and so, so I think, yeah, that's uh, people don't need massive amounts of interactions, more the result people want, which I think we get lost in. Kind of related then. So with that client, your main job that you, you identified with that person was to help them uh, chill out, take a step back, relax a bit more about their nutrition, right? Is, is that right? Yeah, that was one of the things we worked on, yeah. Okay, so um, kind of related then, I heard in a podcast, well, I listened to it yesterday, I can't remember when you put it out, but uh, you said a traditional punch-yourself-in-the-face contest diet. (laughs) 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 What do you mean when you said that? Yeah, so I think that was the episode with uh, Mike Sweeney, um, and we we were talking about um, bodybuilding prep, and Mike was getting into some of the the ideas around our traditional things that were done. Um, and just by that, I mean, when someone is trying to go through the process of dieting, um, and this goes for people that maybe aren't at like elite levels of bodybuilding, just by that term, I'm just talking about people that are trying to lose way more fat and put on muscle. Um, and when they're going through this dieting phase, it's almost like restriction and difficulty is seen as, almost required or a good thing right the more the more painful this is um and this typical thing of okay so all my meals are going to be some white fish and some broccoli um all the time and there's nothing else on it like that to me is like this punch yourself in the face diet right <laughs> did, did you see the it's fish a, and yeah. rice cakes guy video oh. yeah that, that's just amazing <laughs> that is amazing was that um, serious or was it a joke it's no, that was serious as far as I know. Um, that I think someone followed up on him, but I can't remember. But I think that was serious. And, and the, the, the worst thing is, like, that is, like, it, while it's funny, like, that guy probably had, like, some health issues off the back of that. Um, and this stuff is happening all the time. Like, um, And the only reason I ever talk about contest prep diets is for the reason that people are sending me emails showing me what someone has sent them. And it's just, it's just terrible. Um, because I say to people, look, I'm not, a bodybuilding coach. I'm not involved in bodybuilding. I haven't done a contest prep. Uh, so I don't take on contest prep clients. I'll just say, go and find someone who's gone through that purely for the, the psychological factor of it. I think it's good to talk through the psychological thing with someone who's experienced it, but just some of the, the practices. So, um, going back to say the MMA fighters, they're another group that have this similar thing of one thing I've had to break a lot of them out of is, okay, We've got a fight in eight weeks, so what we'll do is we'll take out the potatoes and rice out your diet. You just have your greens and then your chicken or your white fish and then no red meat and you get lean. 
and it's like my god these guys are trying to do some hard training on like these really low carb really low calorie diets and it's just that's the kind of like that punch yourself in the face dieting as opposed to once you understand what those fundamental pieces are someone can go into slight calorie deficit which again dieting is always going to suck especially when someone's get leaner or wants to step on stage but it doesn't have to be these set few foods um and a really kind of restrictive approach um so i think yeah understanding those fundamental pieces around nutrition allows people to get away from that I can definitely relate to what you just said there. You get a bunch of guys in the locker room after a heavy, sweaty session in the gi or no gi, I don't know, whatever martial art you do, um, and the the myths are going to fly, aren't they? And mm. it's very hard to... I, I'm fortunate in that most, in that all my clients, all, all of them come to me, and I've never had to go out and seek um, people out. Um, I can't even imagine how hard that must be. I'm just trying to... I don't even know if it's it's very possible to go into a situation like that and I'll be like, oh, well, yeah, you don't really need to do that. Uh, cutting all of your carbs out and that might mm. not be the best way to... How have you found that? Have you, have you gone out and actively chased or have you found mm. that most people have come to you? Because no, the- usually... Yeah, with, with the fighters, it's usually been them coming to me. Um, I'm lucky to one of the guys I'm actually good friends with and that I do a bit of work with, uh, Jason Kane. He's a strength and conditioning coach here in Dublin, and he will do the the S and C for a lot of these guys, um, and then I will take on their nutrition. And he's in a very similar um, place to me in terms of we're finding that trying to break a lot of the the old school, not not just kind of myths, but especially I'm finding in martial arts and combat sports, there's a lot of tradition there. So we have some guys that are pro Muay Thai fighters, and you know, like there's big tradition there. So this thing of going for a 10k run before going to spar, yes, um, like yeah. as a conditioning. And so for Jason and trying to get away, get them to say, okay, you don't have to do that. Why not go and do your sparring really fresh? We'll do like maybe three strength sessions to get you strong, but it's not going to impact your training. It's not going to drive you into the ground. Um, and then get most of your kind of work from actually sparring and getting better at your sport. Um, and the same thing with the nutrition is, um, and it was interesting, I was only talking about this with, um, there's a guy in University College Dublin. He runs the what, the Human Performance Lab, I think, in the Institute of uh, Sport there, um, Dr. Brendan Egan. Um, so he's a researcher there. And we were talking about this the other day, how a lot of team sports, so say like rugby or soccer, have a are starting to buy in a lot more into the sports science side of things in terms of taking someone externally in and letting them take charge of it where and again this is a bit stereotypical in a generalization but in a lot of individual sports like track and field athletes or um or martial arts there's a bit more wariness from their coaches of letting someone external come in and say take over their nutrition that they've always done or the training they've always done um so you could have someone that's a track athlete and their coach doesn't want them doing this new training program with an snc coach or doing this new um nutrition protocol that someone has put them on because that's not the way we always did it and it's done this way so i think there's a lot of tradition to try and break in for some people um so obviously if if they have a coach pulling another direction it just becomes really difficult but if they come of their own accord then i think Again, it's that buy-in. Just try this for a few weeks, and they immediately see a massive difference. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah, it's it's exceptionally difficult. I've been through phases where if someone has had another coach, I've just I've I've said no. Um and then I've kind of softened up my stance on that. Um I don't know, and now it really it just depends on the person. It's just really I don't yeah. want any any conflicts there. Yeah. Um, there needs to be, especially when we're talking about fighters, there has to be the all the coaches they have from their different domains have to be talking together and have to be working together. Yeah. Like if you have a guy that's going to do MMA in the morning, jiu-jitsu in the evening, then it's going to go do S&C, and all these coaches don't know what the other one is programming for their week, like they, that person could end up getting run into the ground, um, whereas they need to be able to talk together so they can best program what their week looks like. Um, so if there's not that communication, then it's a real kind of issue. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk a, a little bit more about um, carbs um, for the for the fighters, um, mm. which is going yeah, to apply so, to some other sports man. as well? So slashing yeah. all of the carbs out, not a good idea. You want to leave some carbs in there. Mm. Yeah, so this, this has probably been the biggest change I've had to do with a lot of the guys because they're – they're coming in, they're training two, maybe three times a day. Um, and a number of them have came in with a relatively low carbohydrate intake. Um, in some cases, like shockingly low, um, in that they probably get caught in that mindset of, well, I need to lean down for the fight. So what is a quote unquote fat loss diet? And then they'll see something like, um, a lot of them kind of will come across paleo, for example, which um, it's nothing wrong with paleo. It's just the fact that generally that's going to be a low carb diet for a lot of these people. They take out the carbohydrates and they, they try and follow the recommendations people are for trying to lose a bit of body fat. And so they have these tremendously low carb intakes and trying to do tons of training. So it's obviously two big problems that I see for these guys. One their performance uh, in their sparring sessions is going to suck. Um, even the ones that say, oh, I feel okay, they just don't know what their actual performance should be because there's no way they can perform at that level on a low-carb diet. I don't care. You're not going to perform to your best. And the second thing is when it comes to the weight cut, which is um, a big thing I'm trying to get them aware of, is when they have muscle stores that are full of glycogen and obviously the water that the glycogen pulls in, that means on the week of, of the fight – they can just do some carb restriction, a small bit of water restriction, and they can actually lose a, a good bit of weight from that. Whereas if they come in with no glycogen reserves, then and they leave themselves a decent amount of weight to cut, they don't have the ability to lose some weight from from glycogen losses um, and the water that the glycogen holds. So there's kind of a, a twofold thing there. But um, as an example, I had a guy, uh, Keen, who I've been working with for like uh, 15 months, I'd say now. And when he first came in, like very similar, generally like a paleo type approach, very low carb. Um, and since then, we've just been ramping up his carbs over time. His last fight was probably the best he ever felt during a training camp, best he ever was. I think for the seven, eight weeks before the fight, there wasn't a day where I'd say he had less than 300 grams of carbs. Most days was probably 350, 400. Um, and, and so that going from like going from under 100 grams to up to those intakes just makes a massive impact on training performance um so yeah like it's it's just not a good idea for to restrict carbs if you're an mma fighter um, or someone doing similarly type high intensity stuff i mean even people that are doing daily 
crossfit type sessions um and again crossfit is just a kind of like a catch-all term nowadays for yeah, okay. sessions yeah. of that type like it doesn't mean one per thing but if you're doing something with a lot of metabolic conditioning and lifting uh weights for a lot of reps and stuff you want to get some carbohydrates yeah so where are these um just to spell it out for people um the if you are an mma fighter or you're a crossfitter let's say and you want to lose some weight uh, where are you taking these calories from in their diet let's say they're an intermediate so they're not chugging down uh sodas and uh having mm. five whiskeys in the evening they're not miscounting calories like that where are mm. you where are you going so, to take it from so generally the, the i suppose the best starting point is to make sure that the most important is probably to get, make sure they have sufficient protein so probably somewhere like two grams per kilogram of body weight maybe slightly higher um their fat intake then, because you want to keep a decent amount of carbohydrate, might come in at something like a gram of fat for every kilogram of body weight and the remainder of their calories from carbohydrate. Okay. And then if we, if we find that carb intake is too low for that person, we'll just pull the f- fat down slightly. Um, or if that person responds well to a slightly higher fat, maybe they're only doing some strength training so they don't need a ton of glycogen, we can just up the fat intake. But that would be a good starting point. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. Um, have you ever found um, that you have to pull down people's uh, protein intakes um, because they've got it yeah. up there like 250, 300 or, I don't know, and let's yeah. say they're only a 60 kilogram, uh, 100, uh, 130 pound guy or 140 mm. pound guy and they've got it up <laughs> rocket high, really high. Yeah, I think um, it's, it's one thing I've put in a, a lot of the seminars of doing that most people need to jack up their protein, mm. but then a lot of people have it at a point where it's too high. And it's not too high for the reason that it's dangerous. Like any of the stuff that high-protein diets will cause kidney failure, any of this r- rubbish, it's not that it's dangerous. It's just the, the fact that if you have a set calorie intake you have to hit and your protein is at a level that it's – like say – I think most of the research shown that they've, there's never been that much of a, a benefit of going, say, beyond – above i think it was like 2.7 grams per kilogram was the highest they've or at least that i've seen i think that um, yeah so, yeah so, yeah so if, if you like, like if you go like well above like three grams per kilogram like you're not getting any real additional benefit um apart from maybe a bit of extra satiety if you're trying to diet but what you are doing is you're limiting how much carbohydrate and fat you can take in um, so you have to either take down one of those or take a combination of the two, and they can all do really useful things, right? So if you take your fat too low, you're affecting your your androgens and your androgen receptor density. If you're taking your carbs too low that you can't train properly, then you're affecting things as well. So for, yeah, people being able to get that protein at not so high a range, it's taking away from other things, I think is huge. Um, and I think sometimes even in people that are say prepping for a contest might find that in the the later weeks and as they come close to competition they might need to pull down on their protein slightly to allow themselves to have enough carbohydrate to train sufficiently um hard as they get into that because they already would have pulled their fat down pretty low to that point already um so yeah there's definitely a place where it's too high thank you so there you go so it's all about balance unfortunately <laughs> right there's yeah, no, one, yeah, there's no yeah. one, one thing for all yeah no Good. super dosing yeah so um just what you mentioned there about fat uh could you i don't know give me a quick or give the listeners a quick 30 second minute uh thing on why why danny then am i not going to just take my fat intake really low um so that then i can have lots of carbs perform really well have great workouts and i've got my protein there and we're all good yeah so 
the, the probably the couple of things with like super low fat intakes is obviously if you go like really low you're going to be running the risk of deficiencies of essential fatty acid deficiencies but even at intakes that would avoid that that are still low you're going to be impacting things like say testosterone um which we've shown that people on a low fat diet if you get them back up to a slightly higher intake you see this like elevation in testosterone it comes back to where it at least should be um higher fat intakes then tend to similarly impact the density of androgen receptors on cells so how many of those are going to be on the cell surface which really helps with say testosterone uptake so i think from the perspective of someone that's trying to say maximize muscle or strength having a super low fat intake is obviously not going to be beneficial um and plus it's not really that needed i think people overestimate how much carbohydrate they might need for their training like Fair enough, if you're an MMA fighter training two or three times a day, you need a very high intake. But at the same time, their calorie intake is going to be a lot higher as well. So they shouldn't be able to run too low on fat. Um, So, yeah, I think they're the big ones for fat. Obviously, there's a place where someone can go too high on the other end, but on there's there's definitely a point where it becomes too low. I think um, actually going back to Martin earlier, I think he mentioned that in his talk at the Epic Fitness Summit, especially if you're talking about strength athletes, getting a higher amount of fat in the diet can help with the like circulating androgens and so on. So um, that would be the big thing to try and keep it short. <laughs> yeah. No. Thank Great. you. That was. Yeah, yeah. No, that was it. That was good. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right, let, let's talk about the Epic then, uh, the Epic Summit. Mm. Um, that's where we met. Um, mm. Do you want to quickly explain what that was, just for people that aren't sure? Yeah, sure. So the Epic Fitness Summit was organized by Richard Lovett, um, based in Birmingham in the UK. So Beautiful place, it, that, people. I highly yeah, recommend you. Yeah. <laughs> A great holiday destination. Oh, yes. And, uh, yeah, so it was it was basically a collection of pretty much the best guys in the field of evidence based fitness, nutrition, and medicine um, to try and bring together. I think, like just talking to Rich, like the biggest thing was to try and get more of this evidence based information out to a wider audience in a more palatable way that was actually marketed properly um, as opposed to like I was saying earlier it being hidden away in like this academic bubble so like I think he just deserves tremendous credit for putting that together um, and yeah it was a great event so full of various different presentations over the course of three days um, a couple of debates um, on different topics and just yeah just a great kind of feel to it just um the people that were just there attending i think as well was was a massive thing yeah it was good looking around the room and seeing faces that you recognized um at one point um i saw yeah 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 so i was doing a lot of uh, twitter tagging while it was going on and i saw that you had tagged it and i was like oh there's danny lennon i really like his um his podcast i'll have to go and say hello yeah it was it was very cool looking around Mm. the room yeah yeah, definitely. Of of probably any event like that I've attended, just the the collection of people in that room of of being of that mindset of obviously a very clued in, um, objective and evidence based crowd. And um, I think it was it was just fascinating to just to get to meet people. I think that was the biggest thing for me above anything else, just actually meeting the people uh, that were there. 
either attending or also the speakers as well. Um, obviously, I've known a few of them just from online, from either having them on the show or chatting online. So it's, it's always just great to meet those people in person. It just brings an extra layer of, of things to, to a relationship you have with someone. So, um, yeah, that, that, that was just an amazing weekend. I think Rich deserves a lot of credit for putting on that. I think what you said there, it's worth uh, talking about a little bit more about how when you do meet someone in person, it does it it just it gives you a chance to build a, a real relationship. Online's all well and good, but until you've met someone in person, really look them in the eye when you shake their hand, um, mm. things can get quite heated in forums and on Facebook. But when you meet people in person, you know you, you, that's when you. I think that's when really you get to see what people are about, you know, and that's when you, yeah, yeah it, for me over the last four years, I'd say that these conferences that I've been attending, um, and the people that I've been meeting, um, that's what has spurred me on, um, to keep doing what I've been doing and to fight through, um, in Japan with our Japanese website to fight through those first two and a half years when we're putting the information mm. out there and just nobody gives a damn. Mm. <laughs> um, finally, like, mm. uh, it's doing really well now. Um, mm. But, yeah, it was just, you know, seeing these guys and the encouragement from them and you're building connections. So now, like, when you meet um, Alan Aragon, for example, it's... It's a hug. It's hey Andy, how are you doing? Like just small things like that. It just means mm. it means the world now. They're friends now, mm. you know. And just the the amount of people that weren't there at the Epic Summit, I was really quite surprised about. Although it was sold out, they're, they're going to mm. get a bigger room next year. I think there are about 150 people attended. But I was just really surprised that why there weren't. I mean four five hundred more why there weren't way more mm. people there because it's just mm. such a huge opportunity to be surrounded by these guys you know yeah and i think it's it's just a, gr- a great point you mentioned about actually that normal human reaction where you become friends with someone and like um like anytime someone talks to you about like like networking just a lot of the stuff you see just doesn't make any sense like this idea of oh how do you network or what <laughs> what are tips for networking it's like there's no such thing as this thing of like it's this idea of people going around what can i get off someone or how do i get this person to to follow my stuff or how do i get this person to to read my book or whatever it is it's like that doesn't work like it still comes just back down to to people and being a decent person and if you meet people that are like-minded like you that have the same interests and you're a cool person and then you become friends that's all it is that is all uh, it is there, yeah, yeah. That, and that and that's that's the there's no strategy behind it it's just if you meet someone and you have the same interests there's a high likelihood you'll get on with them as long as you're not a dick so like i think that's that's all it is right yeah. um and so there's no need to, and that's why i love stuff like this because and especially at, at epic because everyone was of that kind of like i was saying a very similar mindset um and I think the fact that it was probably at those numbers helped as well because it there was a good kind of kind of close knit there and you got to see the same faces from day to day. Um and, and so it was cool. Like I even met a few people from Ireland that I hadn't met before and we just managed to meet there uh, and now I've managed to keep in contact with them. So it's it's cool because now you have a set of people 
who you already know are of the same uh, like-mindedness of you. Um, so, yeah, like stuff like that. But people just don't see the value in that, and uh, that's a shame. Yeah, I, I, I don't understand it. I mean, I've, I flew over from Japan for that. Um, mm. Actually, I was in America at the time going to a different one. That was two weeks before. Um, that was called the Fitness Summit in Kansas City. Have you heard of that one? Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's that's really good because everyone mm. stays at the same hotel. So that's cool. and it's always around a hundred, hundred and fifty people. So you know, like uh, there's learning in the day, and then there's you know really getting to know everyone over barbecue and beers in the evening. It's it's great. Very cool. Um, I must hit that next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's just. Yeah, if you get if you're in the industry listening to this and you get a chance, um, go to one of these conferences for sure. Um, at the minimum, it's going to help you. It's going to help show you that these people they're just people. Um, mm. One problem that I had was I used to put people on a pedestal. Um, I like I would respect someone so much that I would just think you know raise them up on a pedestal. Um, mm. But really, they're just people, you know. Um, so I don't know where yeah. I was going with that. Yeah. No, no, I get it. It's, it's the same thing we we're saying that it's nothing about having to, even when you're talking to someone online, approaching them differently or talking to them differently online. It's just about treating people the exact same. Like everyone is the same. Like you just treat them as you get on with them or you're a friend or an acquaintance. It's it, it's as simple as that. And um and people kind of respond well to that. If they, if someone knows you're genuine, people respond to that. I think that was the biggest thing. People, when you're talking to someone, you get to know straight away if they're genuinely there just to actually talk to you. And and for any of these guys that were, say, speaking, they'll know that if when you're talking to them, if you're a genuine person. If they are, then that's what, how, how people's like, this guy is good. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, this is this was the first year actually for me. Uh, this is my fourth year of going to these kind of conferences, and it was the first year for me actually where I f- people were coming to me kind of with a pitch, and it felt mm. quite bizarre. Um, I didn't quite know how to take it. Um, I, just something I wasn't used to. But yeah, you, you're right. Like it's um, you, you get to know immediately. Uh, you can just tell. Uh, mm whether someone's genuine or or what uh or perhaps not so yeah mm, definitely yeah completely agree yeah um okay moving on um what has been your most rewarding moment or experience so far in your job in this job hmm. wow um there's there's probably two different sides but i think Obviously, any time a client sends you an update of something they've done is pretty amazing. Um, just even if they're saying thank you for something or they've hit a milestone that was a milestone for them. Um, so I don't really want to like mention specific ones because it's it's trying to put one ahead of another. But like I really do. Anytime someone has something. Um, uh, that's an achievement to them. That's amazing. And then on the other side, apart from like the client feedback, because that's always number one, um, probably on the side of say the podcast or blog content feedback or comments from people who I like really respect and know are 
coming out from a genuine place has been massive for me. Um, like even simple things like like Martin, who I mentioned earlier, who I've learned so much from and has been one of the biggest thing ever. If he like mentions something online about something I'm doing or gives me a shout out about something, that that still means a lot, no matter how kind of small it might seem to people, um, because he is someone that I respect so much and he's essentially putting his his name or endorsing something that I've done, which is huge, or getting feedback from someone I've had on the show saying, wow, that was actually a really good job you did with that interview. Like hearing that is amazing. Or um, like if someone like Eric Helms, one of the best coaches in the world, says something like that, that's a kind of really rewarding thing to say, wow, this is worth it. But above all that, it's just I think it's just being getting to, to know these people and having them within my kind of my network is is the biggest most rewarding thing that I can now look and talk to people online and and have a Skype call with people today or send people a Facebook message or an email and there are all these names that are just amazing people I think that's the biggest rewarding thing right I think that's just amazing that I can now look at it's like wow look at the people who I'm spending most if I look at my inbox on like Facebook or something and I was like if I was looking at that two years ago I was like wow (laughs) like it's a completely different set of of people and uh that's pretty cool so any of that stuff i think is has been a big rewarding thing for me um, obviously aside from the things of just like working for myself and stuff but specifically with the job they're the things yeah i bet you know exactly where when you were reading those messages as well those specific messages that or when you saw that at tweet or retweet from martin mcdonald and where you were when eric helms paid you that compliment right you know <laughs> it's burnt in your mind right yeah, it's just like, oh, wow, this is actually – because I think the biggest thing anytime someone's putting out content is there's always – the always biggest thing someone is fighting is that, like, the the doubt you have yourself of, wow, is this stuff good enough or how are people receiving this or am I – like, everyone kind of feels like a fraud in what they're doing, I think, to a certain extent when they're starting out in that they'll get people, like, even responding positively to it, it's like – I don't know, are these people just thinking it's good and it's not actually that good? I think that was going a lot for me as things initially. But then, um, so seeing some of it at least validated by by people you you respect, I think is massive. Um, and and it's, it's a big deal. And I think that goes for everyone. They just want to see that their their stuff is making an impact on someone. Yeah. Just, f- just knowing that one of these guys might be, reading my work at some point or knowing that they have and therefore knowing that they might read something else um or knowing that they might say oh yeah this is a good site and recommend it to one of their friends drags me up because i know Mm. that i then have to be absolutely on point with what i'm saying so that i don't embarrass them or reflect Mm. badly in any way on them so that Mm. that's just made me uh go back check through everything, make sure it's um, bulletproof, not the coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I, I totally agree. I think, um, like, for me, I know that there's a lot of, of these guys that I respect that, that listen to my show most of the time. I know there's people that have contacted me that are, that are doctors that I know from online that listen to the show. Um, and so when you have that in mind, again, it's this thing of, of making sure that, everything you produce is high quality as possible and that every piece of content is actually like, like there's a big thing now I think in the industry of 
oh, if you want to be successful, you've got to produce tons and tons of content, put something out on all these social media sites, put like every type of medium, do these videos, do all this. It's like not enough people are paying attention to making sure their content is actually good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there, there are so many people in the fitness industry now putting out tons of content. But to be quite honest, a lot of it is absolutely rubbish. Seven it tips for like, big guns, right? Yeah, like, and, and it's it's this thing. Like when I think we're probably getting into a tangent here, um, but <laughs> let's go for it. It's, um, fine. it's it's I think especially with fitness professionals that are not at a point where they're doing it for long enough or producing enough good content, they're they're too focused on thinking of things tactically as opposed to strategically so as an example they they get very drilled in on tactics like the the best way to write headlines or how to attract people to like a sales page or how to do all these like little small little things um as opposed to actually thinking well is my coaching actually of a good quality? Um, is the content I'm producing actually good? Am I actually able to write a piece that is actually accurate and actually is um, going to provide someone with some value as opposed to just being a piece of content that someone is going to click on and it gets me a unique visit? Um, so the, when you start putting the emphasis on good quality stuff and you keep repeating that over time, eventually people will start to take notice. Um, and it's only a matter of time. It's like you were saying, like there's just build up period of it seems like nothing's happening, but once it starts to, because you have this big backlog of, of good quality content, that's what takes off. And uh, that's the good thing about, say, like I was how I originally got in this like train of thought is knowing that some of these guys that I really respect listen to my podcast is you can't bluff these people with nonsense. Like they will call you on it if you start peddling pseudoscience, bro sciencey stuff, you will get called on it. And so it drives you then to produce high quality evidence-based information that's actually useful to people, um, which is huge. And I think um, that's, that's a, when we're talking about surrounding yourselves with these people and getting to know them, when you see what they're talking about all the time uh, and what their sort of stuff they're doing, it just gets you in that same kind of mindset. Um, so I think, yeah. That's uh, that's that's how it's kind of impacted me. I think. Thanks, Danny. Um, two questions. One quick question, and then one with where we'll probably go a bit deeper. Uh, when I say punchable, who is the first person that comes to mind? <laughs> oh man! Oh god! Uh, first person. No lying. Uh, Come on. <laughs> I have to be very careful because Ooh. I do not like. Um, <laughs> Uh, I don't like conflicts, especially online. Okay. Um, All right, should we not? Then? Uh, yeah, best. Actually, I just haven't thought about it to be honest. Um, Are your balls in your handbag or not? <laughs> <laughs> Let me see. Man. I don't know. I honestly don't know who to, who to say for this. Um, man, fair. I don't want to punch anyone. I'm a I'm a nice guy. Uh, it, it, I don't think I. Yeah, fair enough. I can respect <laughs> that. We can respect that. <laughs> I don't think people do. <laughs> people want me to say something. I, I just might pull in the blank. I'm too nice to punch someone. Oh. All right, fair enough. Um, now I got that question from um, Tim Ferriss. 
Um, I very much like his podcast, and I know that you do as well. Um, we were talking about it just before we started this, about Tim Ferriss' podcast. Um, yeah, do, do you want to fire away your thoughts on it? Yeah, so I think we what we were talking about was where his general content and obviously the stuff he puts out about, say, nutrition. Um, so just as a kind of disclaimer, I'm not objective in this. I'm probably like Tim Ferriss's biggest fan. Uh, his his original book, for our Work Week, probably had a bigger impact on my life than maybe any other book. Possibly um, the same for me as well, Danny. Yeah. yeah. It was it was huge. It was it just the mindset shift that that book gave me, and then from that point, I've pretty much probably consumed every piece of content he's put out. Um, and so, like, I think he's an amazing guy. The podcast that he puts out is is quality of his writing, um, the way he thinks about things is all amazing. But generally, from the areas of when we're looking at tech or business or uh, skill development or personal development, all those sorts of things I've learned a tremendous amount from, from his work. But then on, on the flip side, some of the nutrition stuff, obviously for those that are of us that are within the industry know that some of his stuff isn't the best. Um, I can see where he's coming from with, like he is his approach for people that haven't seen it, like the, I think the slow carb diet, um, essentially a kind of real foods diet for like six days a week ish, relatively low ish in carbs. And then a big cheat day once a week. Um, again, if that's a bit wrong now, just, um, apologize, but that's a general gist. And I think like there's, yeah. So I think obviously that can be helpful for, for a lot of people and he's got success with it. And I can see where he's kind of coming from that. It's simple to implement. The recommendations are very easy for people to remember. Um, and it's not, getting them to give up any sort of food for life. But obviously it's not something that most of us would implement with people because there's, I think there's a a lot of drawbacks with it. Um, Just as one example, I think the idea of having a one massive cheat day where just it's like you're basically want to go crazy as possible. Doesn't really teach people anything about um, moderating how much, highly palatable calorie dense foods they take in in one sitting uh that they're not tying into any of their kind of cues around satiety and so on uh they're not learning how to have a better relationship with food it's more of that restriction binge cycle but just in a smaller more condensed sense it's like six days restricting and then one day of binging um so i don't think they're developing those kind of habits or getting away from than this need to massively overconsume on those highly palatable calorie dense foods. Um, so that's just one example. So, so I tend to not steer people towards his kind of nutrition advice, but everything else apart from that, I think is, is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, we were saying just, just before, like, uh, it's, uh, just listening to that and the level of people that he gets on that show it just helps you um, broaden your mind, think bigger, um, mm. and put you in that can-do mindset for things. Um, yeah. It's been really, really helpful for me. Yeah, like I think if I look at all the books that I've I've read or listened to as an audiobook this year, a lot of them would have came from uh, various recommendations he's made on the show or 
various guests he's had. Um, so like I mentioned earlier, Amanda Palmer, she was on his show. Um, Sam Harris read his book. Ryan Holiday read his book. Um, currently just about to start Peter Thiel's book, Zero to One. Um, so I think, yeah, just getting these perspectives of hugely successful people in various areas and just trying to see the common threads that they have is really kind of interesting. Um, and one of those big things that you see all the time is what you just mentioned there, thinking kind of bigger um, and not selling yourself short. So that, that yeah, I think any of this stuff is amazing. Yeah, I think most of these guys, I, I describe it uh, like they're, they're just coming up to the top of a hill on top of the mountain but they don't feel that they're quite there yet they always feel that they can improve they always feel that they can get better pretty Mm. much all of the guys that are at the top of their field that's how they feel within themselves and i think that's probably what drives them to be great Mm. oh big time and i think even even from from anything when we like that common cliche of it's not about like the end point or destination. It's about that journey that someone has to enjoy. And the same if someone's trying to change their diet and training, the exact same applies because if you make it about being miserable, but saying it'll be okay because I'll get to that end point, the end point never arrives. Um, And you see this with like, think of every single bodybuilder there has ever been in the world. And when they're starting out, Oh, if I only was this size and this lean, that'd be amazing. And suddenly when they get there, it's like, well, actually I've got so much more to work on. I've got these weaknesses. And then there's just another goal. Um, and that applies to every area of life. Like, oh, if I was only making this much, or if I was able to have my own business, wouldn't that be great? And then suddenly you get, there, it's like, okay, what can I do now? So if you're miserable and saying it's okay, cause I'll be, I'll be fine when I get to my end point. There, there is no end point. It's just a series of basically milestones. And so seeing, uh, seeing that from them is a, is a huge thing. Um, and I think it also, the idea that they truly believe that what they're doing is going to be a success, even though they know there's a high probability that something will fail. And they're okay with something failing, but having that kind of true belief that this is what I need to go after. Um, and so those types of messages I think are really important to hear, especially from people who are actually have gone and done it. So that's, that's why I like so much on this show. Yeah. It's interesting what you said there about, uh, end points. People come to you, they're like, so how long do you think it will take me to get and, until I'm, mm-hmm. you know, shredded and, and uh, until I'm done? It's like, well, <laughs> there's the answer they want to hear there, and then there's a real answer, which is you're never going to be done. You'll be happy that you've got to a point, but you're still going to look in the mirror and now be like, right, let's go and bulk and put some more slabs of muscle on, right? Mm. And then yeah. be like, right, okay, now I, I want to get that, that veininess and chisel back, right? Mm. <laughs> they're, ne- they're never going to be done. They're always going to mm. be chasing something, but... Th- you need to coach them in a way where they're, they're happy about that game of chasing the next goal. Right? Mm. Well, that's what it has to be. Like if someone's getting involved in, in fitness to say, well, I want to get this look uh, in 12 weeks time. And then I want to stop. Yeah. I want nothing to do with this again. Like just don't get involved, go and do some other hobby because it's, it is about that continual thing of like, once I get somewhere now, what else can I do? And you enjoy that process of trying to get better or, for someone that's powerlifting, it's like, I have a goal of, I want to squat 180 kilos. And then you get there, you don't say, well, I'm happy now. So now I can just chill out. <laughs> it's more like, okay, now what do I need to do to get to 200 in the next year? Yeah. Um, and I, I think that, that kind of excitement is what makes you get better. 
Um, so trying to, like I've said to people before, if, if your diet that you're starting out on has an end date to the way you're going to be eating, then you're in trouble because it's just going to fail. You're, someone is just, that's where weight regain comes in for so many people. I've got an, a diet that I'm, like, I'm on a diet as opposed to saying I'm just going to eat like this for the next number of weeks. Like, I'm on this diet until eight weeks' time and then I can go back to eating normally. Like that is just that is just not going to work. That is going to be that you're just going to regain everything that that you worked for. So um, if you set an endpoint on something, then it's just a, a signal for failure. I think. Yep, absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, anyone that comes to me and they say I want to be done in twelve weeks, um, I, I won't take them on. Um, I always want to take people on that. They want to come to me and learn, and I only work with them for 12 weeks. I aim to work with people for 12-week period. They come to me, learn, send them on their way, giving them what they need so they can go and keep chasing and keep being successful on their own, you know? Mm. Okay. Yeah, big time. Um, like this idea of someone looking for a one-off diet plan, like like that's not going to do anything for someone. If they just get one written diet plan or, what, or a meal plan or whatever people are prescribing them, like that's going to be of literally no use uh, long term. Yeah, I've, I've, um, heard, I've, I've heard. I don't know. I'm a little bit out of the loop here because I, I live in Japan. Um, I'm in Osaka now. Um, so I'm a bit out of the loop of what's going on at home. But I, I heard on someone's podcast, someone was talking about a contest prep coach that charged whenever someone wanted to change the vegetable or um, carb in their meal plan to something, <laughs> wow. to something else. <laughs> wow. It's the first time you've heard of that as well, then. That, that's the first time I've heard. Wow, that's amazing. I know. It's like, whoa, holy hell. I mean, <laughs> talk about fishing and selling fish for people instead of teaching them how to fish, eh? Wow, yeah. That is like a, yeah, that's like a North Korea dictatorship there. Like, if you don't eat what I tell you, you're going to get charged for it. I thought There's a tax was... on picking your own foods. That's amazing. It's, it, it's an amazing like, business model though, isn't it? If you get enough people coming through. I mean, they're going to get bored well, at some point. So then they're going to have to pay you £20 so that they can swap out white pasta for brown pasta. And then you can go man. through all different types of rice. With <laughs> that is crazy. That is actually crazy. There's, uh, it just, it just, it really actually, like, it's it's funny, but it's just so annoying at the same time. Like, Sad, to, yeah. to think To think that people are, are being put through this by people just trying to make money, it's just, it's disgusting, really. But, um, yeah, that that's that's amazing. I've, I've never heard that one. Yeah. Wow, that is amazing. I'll try and remember where I heard it, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, last, last two things. Um, before I get into the last question, uh, Danny, uh, where can people find out more about you and your work and catch up with you? Um, so yeah, the best place is just to go to sigmanutrition.com. Um, you'll find the blog and the podcast there. If you want to listen to the podcast, you can listen on iTunes if you're iOS or Stitcher for Android. And then I'm on all the kind of social media networks. If people want to find me, I'm on Facebook or I'm on Twitter, um, at nutrition, Danny, um, and all the other kind of places, um, which people can track me down. All right, and uh, Danny's got a newsletter as well, which you'll find on his website. Um, okay, uh, last question then. Um, if you could change one thing about our industry, uh, what would it be and why? Oh, man, this is, this is tough because there's, like, there's a lot of things we've mentioned that could, could change. Mm. Um, but like, there's small little things, but I think the, 
the one thing that would encapsulate all of them or that would lead to a better standard of all of those things you mentioned is probably the standard of knowledge needed to be allowed to coach someone. And by that, I just mean the, like currently the barrier of entry is so low and so easily accessible, especially here. Um, There is just a, a crazy amount of fitness professionals or people call themselves nutritionists who to be honest, just, just absolutely suck. And uh, some of them are a danger to people as well in some of the stuff they're prescribing, um, especially like any of the extreme stuff they're doing with people. Um, and I think a lot of it comes from two reasons. One is that some people will go get a, um, say, a PT qualification and not do it because they like hanging out in the gym. They think, oh, wouldn't it be cool to kind of just spend my days there and getting some money. So they qualify, don't want to learn anything else, go through the motions with people, give them whatever, and then that's it. They don't really care about people. And so they're going to be obviously terrible coaches. The second group would be people that are coming in and they just don't have the required level of or understanding to be telling people the things they're telling them. Like they're making people do like very extreme things with their diet um, or they're telling them about hormones or any of this stuff that they literally don't know what they're talking about. Um, and, and so there's so many people out there, people don't know, like how do you screen who's going to be worth going to? So it, it's, it's a tough one because I think sometimes when I talk about this with uh, a group of friends who are coaches, there's obviously a lot of pushback on some of the things like, where do we set that line? Does it mean everyone should need a a degree in sports science? Like, I I don't know because I know a ton of coaches who don't have a degree in sports science who are phenomenal coaches. Right. And that's like the vast majority of them that I know. So it's not that level. It's more about what do you do once you have that qualification? Are you like the first group I mentioned where you're okay to, okay, I'm done now. Or are you someone that's going to continually go and try and learn and upskill your own knowledge? Um, and it's like the the old kind of, uh, I think it was a Jim Rohn quote that formal education can make you a living, but it's self-education can make you a fortune. And it's like, in terms of being a good quality coach, that's what it is. How prepared are you to continually learn off people, find out about people, experience and try and actually care about people? So anything that increases uh, the knowledge base of someone in, in the industry, but also that increases the fact that they actually care. Because they're the two things. And, and I teach a, a course here in Dublin, um, a nutrition course for personal trainers. And one of the big things that I put on it is like, if you want to be a good quality coach, there's two things that separate you from someone that's mediocre. One is knowledge and two is that you care and you care really, really bad to like the point where if someone's not getting a result, like you can't stop thinking about like, what can I do here? Why is this not working? As opposed to, oh, here's your man, go eat this and come back to me when you want to upgrade to eating rice <laughs> instead of pasta. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that, that's the biggest thing. So I think um, probably around that, the the standards of coaching, how we do that and how we regulate it is probably a conversation for someone else far more intelligent than me. Um, but there needs to be, I think, a better regulation of, of people that are in a position to really impact someone's health. Like the, these are at the front line. Like people are more willing to go to a trainer than they are to their doctor about stuff if they, if they want to say get in shape. And now you have someone who like is doing crazy stuff with their, their training and their nutrition. They're in a 
position to really hurt someone. So that's a long-winded way of saying that's what I would hopefully do. Well, um, uh, you might call that long-winded. I think you had some great points, um, I'd, and I'd agree. Um, it would be interesting if you could, for every time someone clicks and listens to your podcast, um, if you could find out their name. Um, because if you were to list up all of the coaches and trainers that bothered to go out of their way to subscribe to your podcast, <laughs> you, you'd... I don't know, hiring one of those guys, you'd... I don't know, on average, they're, they're going to be a hell of a lot better than average, aren't they? You know, because mm. they're bothering to learn. Um, yeah. You're going to have a great audience there. Because of the level of stuff that you put out is quite high as well. Um, I appreciate that. It's, it's, um, keep, keep doing what you're doing, Danny, please. Yeah, I appreciate that a lot. And um, it just makes... Uh, it makes it all worthwhile to hear that people are actually getting something from it. And if, like like we're saying, if in some small way that helps some coach learn something that can help someone, then that's a that's a big deal to me. That's not just a, like a token thing or something. This abstract concept that like that's really real life stuff that's at work, and and that really does make a difference to me. And um, so yeah, hopefully I can stay helping people by by giving by just giving them access to people who are like really at the top of their game um and so that's what i'm trying to do uh danny uh thank you for your time we'll leave it there um there's i've got another 10 questions listed dan but uh we're already we can do it anytime yeah um i'll have to get you on again uh danny it's been a pleasure thank you very much for your time sir it's been an absolute pleasure and it's uh great to chat again and uh appreciate everything that you're doing and obviously you're doing some great things over um, where you are with giving people access to stuff that they otherwise wouldn't have had. So I think it's amazing. So uh, thank you for that. And it's been great to be on, man. Thanks, bud. All right. Take care. That's it for this time. The show notes are up on ripbody.jp. Just click the podcast tab in the menu bar. I'm going to be doing interviews like this more often from now on. You can subscribe to the show through Stitcher, SoundCloud, or the iTunes store. Thank you for listening.